It's so good to see you this morning. How many of you guys got a chance to be able to come out and participate in any of our spiritual emphasis service? Can you raise your hand? We had a wonderful and amazing time over the last three days and four services where Matias Rojas, our evangelist, taught us about practicing our faith and how faith should be ingrained in everything that we do because once we say yes to Jesus, that is the beginning of a life filled with faith. We love times like that because it gives us concentration and spiritual renewal. And now it is our job to walk in that faith and learn how to practice that faith. One of the things that we are going to be practicing or keeping in mind with it is what's going to happen starting next week in the month of October, which is what we're going to call missions emphasis. So we know that we are a church that preaches the gospel here, and we are supposed to go out to Newark and in all of Essex County to give the message of Jesus Christ to people. We also know that the Bible teaches us that we are supposed to go to the utter ends of the earth with that same message. And while you and I cannot do that, we have a specific calling that God has us here We have missionaries that we support on a monthly basis that go out to all the nations of the world and give the gospel to people. For those of you who don't know, all the flags around here represent a different missionary, whether it be domestic or international, that we sponsor. So for the next couple weeks, we are going to be concentrating on those missionaries, and some of them are going to be filling our pulpit, giving testimony about what God is doing on the field. Amen? And it's all going to end in what we call Faith Promise Sunday. And that is where we take a moment of extended prayer throughout this time in October, and we pray for what God wants us to be able to give beyond our tithe for missions. Me and my wife have been a participant of this since uh, we first got married. We didn't have a dime to give, but we felt that God was compelling us to be able to give as a seed for those who were going out onto the field. And we started with a small amount, something that for us was huge, but for somebody else was a little thing. But God honored our faithfulness, and when we needed something, he opened up the heavens. And that is what a faith promise is all about. As we continue on uh, with our message today, why don't you open up your Bibles with me. We are going to be in the book of Mark, starting in chapter 6, and we are going to go from verse 30 to verse 44. We were supposed to participate in our missions decoration day today, but we put that on pause because our lovely friends in the Assemblies of God forgot how shipping works. <laughs> and they're acting like Amazon where they say, hey, I pay for two-day shipping, but I really get it weeks out. <laughs> so pray for the people in our fellowship. We love them. But, you know, sometimes I can't give grace with that. 
And also, uh, if you've missed Starting Point, week one of Starting Point, our intro to ministry and membership, please try to make your way out. It is okay if you missed week one because you can be able to come the next session around and just attend that first week. But if you want to get involved in this church, if you want to get plugged in to what we are doing on a Sunday morning and behind the scenes, that is the class for you to take. If you haven't received an outline and would like one, you can be able to raise a hand and somebody can be able to assist you and give it to you. Or if you prefer a digital outline, you can search Bethel Newark on the YouVersion Bible app. Some of you guys asked me the question also, uh, Pastor, Maya does a great job with the announcements but I am really looking to have those announcements all the time. Or is there any way that I can be able to get like a bulletin or anything like that? Well, Aliana, our amazing intern, has created a digital bulletin that now goes out every other Friday with all the latest announcements that you can be able to sign up for and everything like that. And if you need them right now and then, there's a lovely QR code where you can take your phone, you can open up your camera app, and you can scan the QR code and it can give you the latest announcements. And for those of you who don't know how QR codes work, find a millennial. We know this. Okay, we got you. We will partner with you to make sure that you guys got the information that you need. We're going to continue in the book of Mark and we're going to talk about Jesus feeding the 5,000. And I have a question for you guys. What happens the story after the miracle? What happens after the move of God occurs? What is the next part in the story according to scripture? If you guys have been here on our Wednesday nights, you would know that the next part of any move of God and any mighty miracle of God is a test that God gives as human partners. We see this in the beginning with Adam and with Eve. How, hey, you are free to eat everything. Do me a favor, don't touch this. And chapter three, the fall, is all about the test where they're either going to choose life or they're going to choose what is right in their own eyes and be separated from God. We just had an amazing week of spiritual emphasis where we're all talking about how to renew one's faith and how to live a life of faith. What is going to happen the moment that we step out of the four walls of this church? What's going to happen with the next story where God tests us? Because some of us left these services and said, was it real? Was it legitimate? Did it actually happen? Or was that a mountaintop experience and now I am in what I call reality? And I begin to doubt the good thing that God has given me. This story is all about that. And some people are like, huh? Wait a minute, pastor. This is about, this is about a miracle with, with bread and fish. Trust me. When you look at the story of the 5,000, of feeding of the 5,000, you will see 
that this is the next story. This is the test that Jesus has for the people and for the disciples. Now, we got 14 verses this morning. So we're going to go as each point goes. But I'm going to tell you this, church, this one thing. The shepherd fulfills the needs of his sheep. And some of you might be having a question mark in your head and be like, Pastor, what is it? How? How does that talk about the next chapter in the story? And we're going to get into it. But remember, the shepherd fulfills the needs of his sheep. Would you bow your heads and hearts with me in a word of prayer? Father God, in the name of Jesus, I come before you. And I thank you so much for what you have done in this service and what you have done through spiritual emphasis. But God... We are now in your word again, and we ask you to help us understand it better. Be with your servant, I pray, and may we have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hands and feet to respond to your message. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name, amen and amen. The shepherd fulfills the needs of his sheep. We've been in Mark for a while now, church. In fact, we've been here since July. And we've been using the Step Out series in an extended time in the book of Mark to see Jesus as our example in everything. Our example in our faith. And how he started with the basics like baptism. And then he moved through the miraculous through his preaching and his teaching. And throughout this constantly, Jesus has had followers with him that are looking at his example. And two weeks ago, when we were speaking last, we saw that not only was he following, or they were following his example, but now they are practicing his example as they go out to the region when Jesus sent out the 12. The series of, you have seen me do, so now go do. And now we're catching up, and in our passage in Scripture, they meet back with Jesus again. They finally have reconnected after the time of doing evangelism and preaching and teaching the message. In the middle of all of this, we have a little story of the beheading of John the Baptist. And how the disciples were going through uh, to do such a great and wonderful thing, and in the midst of that, A tragedy because a partner in the faith lost his life for preaching the truth. And normally what happens when we look at literature and we see movies and everything like that, we see a low point. And John's beheading is no different. But with God, though there is a low point, the mission continues. People have lost their life for this faith, church. But the miraculous has happened because of the sacrifice of others. So let's get into our text, shall we? The shepherd fulfills the needs of his sheep. And the first need that Jesus recognizes in this place is the need for rest. Mark 6 
30 to 32. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. The initial thing that Jesus says to his disciples is, let's pause and go rest. That's what Jesus says. Now think of the apostles' mindset. They were sent out by Jesus. They were given authority to preach to participate in signs and wonders through the Holy Spirit, to cast out demons, to heal the sick. Now, most of them, probably like you and me, are like, what's next? What's going on next? I'm filled with the Holy Ghost and power, and I'm getting ready to take the enemy. What's next? We can't just pause. We can't just stop. But Jesus says, do me a favor. Let's go to a solitary place. I know that you're good. I know that you're, you're reporting all these great things and it's wonderful and stuff like that, but it's been all day and you haven't eaten yet. Do me a favor. Let's pause for a second. Wouldn't that be frustrating to you and me? Jesus, we have this momentum. We got to move. We just had these great services. We got to move. We got to do something. Let's keep this ball rolling. Yet Jesus knew what the disciples needed. Verse 31, it tells us, again, let's look at it. Because so many people were coming and going, they didn't have a chance to eat. So not only were they spiritually drained from the mission that they had just come from, but they're physically drained. And you think that they can still go? And you think that you and I can still go? How many of us come back home after work and are physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually drained. And then some of us say, hey, let's go to church and go do ministry. But not many. Because according to statistics, 80% of the work in the church is done by 20% of the people in the church. So if we have a church of about 100, that means only 20 of us are working. And I know the stats, it's true in this church. We work hard. And yes, I understand how draining it is to have a full-time job and go and do ministry. I did it before I was a pastor. But I also understood at a certain point in my life that I had to pause. That the need for rest was real. And Jesus has the, uh, uh, the prescription for it. He says, I'm, I'm going to read out the New American Standard this time. 631, it says, he said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a little while. The need for rest, the need for pause, the need for Sabbath is real, church. Okay, we're caught up in, in what they used to call the rat race, where we are coming and going and we are giving our lives of every single thing. And we give up our time to everyone except the one who can redeem it. I'm going to say that again because you guys aren't awake, okay? 
We give up our time to everyone and anything except the one who can redeem it and renew our souls. Jesus isn't just saying this for them, though. He practiced it. Jesus in Mark 1.35, it says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. When did he do this? Oh, he did this after he was baptized, after he did uh, uh, an exorcism for the first time, while he was preaching the gospel, and after he was healing the sick and the diseased and the impure spirits were cleansed. Doesn't that sound familiar? The disciples just came from that. Jesus was modeling the need for rest, pause, and reconnection to God. And rest and pause has always been here from the beginning. In fact, Genesis 2, verse 1 through 2, God says this. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. I know that, you know, not, not all of us read after the seven days that God created. But let's continue. Verse 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. You know what I notice? The seventh day doesn't have a morning and an evening. I lost you. The seventh day never says there is evening and there is morning because Sabbath is a holistic lifestyle and statement. We are always supposed to have the Sabbath. God didn't bog it down to just one day a week. And that is why the Jewish people not only had a Sabbath day, but they had festivals in which they had also had Sabbath rest. That's why every seven years the field was not supposed to be sown and plowed because the, the land needed to rest. Sabbath is something established by God for us, not us for the Sabbath. Isn't that what Jesus said? Hmm. So, if we know this, if we know that Sabbath is necessary, that pause is necessary, that the need for rest is necessary, that means that we must be practicing it as our Lord and Savior practiced it. Jesus is our example. But if we do not take time to rest in the presence of God, let me just pause for a minute. Not in the presence of your television after you're done with work. Not in the presence of the YouTube channels that you're consistently scrolling through to try to decompress about the day. Not in the presence of your phone. I was like, yeah, you know, I've had a hard day and I want to call somebody and stuff like, don't call them, call Jesus. Because if we do not take time to rest in God's presence, we will not be ready to execute his plans. And his plans are good ones. 
Listen, I was, I was looking at this need for rest, and it reminded me of an old meme. I'm going to date myself a little bit because I used to watch SpongeBob as a kid because it came out when I was a kid. Okay? And there's this, there's this meme that SpongeBob had where him and Patrick took care of little baby clam. They, they adopted it until they could find its parents and stuff like that. And SpongeBob took the role of a mom. And how many people know we love our moms? They're great. They're wonderful. They do the impossible. Okay? I can't do it. I know. And there's a meme where SpongeBob has seven different arms as he's ironing and he's cleaning and he's sweeping. He has a baby in his hand and everything like that. And Patrick playing the role, playing the role of a dad. Don't take this out on us, okay? It's just a meme. I'm not saying your husband does this, okay? Where he just walks in and he goes on the couch. And SpongeBob, the look on his face is he's so drained and defeated and broken. He's like, huh? And Patrick's like, huh? We laugh. It's, it's a genuine laugh. But that's our reality most times. Because we are trying to be dependent on somebody else to give us assistance instead of the master. Last time I, said, uh, last time I checked, Isaiah 40, 31 says, it says, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. Not those who wait for people. Not those who wait for their spouse. Not those who wait for their kids who are a little bit older in age and can take over more responsibility. No, those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. So pause. It's okay to do so. I know that this world doesn't want you to, but just take 30 minutes. Turn off your phone. And just wait in his presence. Silence with God is the loudest thing that I have ever heard. Because then he can communicate with me. Rather than me complaining to him. Mm. So, Jesus fulfills the need for rest. Next thing that he does, he addresses the need for care. He gives the disciples a little bit of a pause. But what happens immediately after is the need for care. 6, 33 to 34, it says this. But many who saw them recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Jesus couldn't get the disciples to a solitary place, so he let them rest as he fulfilled another need. Now, let's think about the state of the crowd. They recognize Jesus and the disciples from afar. They're like, oh, it's the man who's been doing all these great things. We need to get to him. And they ran on foot around the coastline of the lake to get to him. Now, last time I checked... When you're in a boat with a bunch of other guys making a beeline to the other coastline, you're probably going to get there quicker than anybody who's running around the coastline, right? But the desperation of the people were so great that they got there ahead of them. They got there ahead of them. Think about the crowds 
need for Jesus was so great, was, they were so desperate that they were waiting for him to do something else. There was hope in his message so much and they had produced so much fruit that they knew that once he landed, something great was going to happen. And you know how we would have responded? Shoo! Get lost! I need a break. I didn't practice my Sabbath. But Jesus' response was care. Jesus' response was compassion. In fact, the word compassion here in the original language means to be moved into one's inner being. When, you, when we use the expression, I just, I got a feeling in my gut. That is what it means to have compassion. It means to be moved to your innermost being with love and care for another person. And that's how Jesus was moved for this crowd. Boys, I know that we were going to go to a place, but I got something to do. I have sheep that need a shepherd. So we're going to pause for a minute. And I'm going to get busy. Remember, one of Jesus' many names is called the Good Shepherd. And in John 10, 11, it says this, I am the Good Shepherd, and the Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The need for care was so great for Jesus that not only was he willing to sacrifice his time, he was willing to sacrifice his life for you and me. The ultimate need for care. And he makes a statement in Matthew 20, 28. It says, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give up his life as a ransom for many. Jesus understood the importance of care, compassion, and supernatural love for his sheep. And not only does Jesus understand it, but it poured out to people over the generations that didn't meet Jesus as a person, but understood the supernatural love of God. There's a story of a, of a great man by the name of William Booth, and he was greatly stirred by the needs of the poor in London. And realizes, and, and he realized that most churches weren't doing anything to reach the undesirable. The drunkards, the addicts, the prostitutes, and the poor. Yet he set out to reach them with what he called the three S's. Soap, soup, and salvation. Thousands were saved among those who most churches had no interest in reaching. But Booth gave his life for reaching others. So much so that in his 80s, his eyesight started to go. And he was bogged down by his blindness. And he recovered temporarily, but at one point, he couldn't see again. Never again in his life. And his son says, the doctors have told me, that you have lost your sight and it's something that you will never recover from. And this is what he says. He said, God knows best. I have done what I could for God and for the people with my eyes. And now I will do more without them. You see, Booth understood the needs of care and compassion. 
And though it cost him his eyes, he would go on to do more and greater things in the latter part of his life. That is the need for care that you and I also need to fulfill. But it only happens when we rest first in the master. When we rest in his presence, when we feel his love and his touch and his compassion, when we feel the move of faith that we've done on the altars, we are renewed in order to be poured out like an offering to God. And we need to express the care and compassion outside of our Sunday morning services, church. While participating in the food pantry ministry, let's not just give them soup and soap. Let's give them Jesus. Let's be a church that provides services to get people into these services. Man, I lost you. <laughs> Let's provide ministries, evangelism, and encouragement so that these churches, that these pews can be filled with lost and dying people who then become saved for God's kingdom. But it all starts with us giving out the care that Jesus has given to us. So we talked about the need for rest. We talked about the need for care. Practically, the next thing is a need for food. They hungry. <laughs> Read with me, Mark 6:35. By the time, by this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and in fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among all of them. They all ate and were satisfied. Jesus goes and fills what we would consider the most practical need. Remember the state of the people. They ran to him. They met him ahead. They were, there was a, an appearance of desperation, and he loved them, and he taught them all day. The sun was getting ready to go down. Back then, if the sun was going down, you had robbers and thieves that would go, and they would hide and attack you in the countryside before you got to the village. I don't know about you, but after going through a sermon series that lasted all day, I might be a little bit parched. I might be a little bit hungry. Heck, I'm, I'm going to get done here. I'm going to go home. I'm going to go eat. I'm hungry now. <laughs> and the disciples' request was, was super practical. Hey, do me a favor. That's a great message. Say amen and send them away. 
The disciples knew the need of the people because the disciples still had this need. Some of you might have forgot, but remember verse 31. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and let's get some rest. But what is Jesus' response? You do it. You give them something to eat. And the disciples struggled. They were like, man, if I do my calculations right, this is going to cost us seven to eight months of a yearly salary. It's no joke. Because remember, we think that it's just 5,000 people. No, it's 5,000 men, but this isn't a men's conference. <laughs> There's women and children there too. Remember that. And they're also thinking about the travel. Must we go? Because the 12 going to the countryside, getting all the bread, and taking multiple trips to feed every single person would have taken them hours. Let me ask you a question. Let me give you something to ponder. What happened to the 12 at the beginning of the story that gave testimony to Jesus of everything that they did? I'm going to ask it again. What happened to the disciples who were so excited to tell Jesus everybody who was healed, all the demons who were cast out, all the ministry that they did? Because the next story, they don't have enough faith to feed the people. God, we had an amazing time with spiritual emphasis and my faith is restored. I've seen the movement of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Yet I don't know if you can save my marriage. God, you've healed me. And I can jump and I can run and I can move. Yet I don't trust you with my budget and my finances and give to you accordingly. God, you've brought my kid back to the faith. Thank you so much for preserving my son or my daughter. I cannot wait to share the faith that they are going to be working with. Yet I don't think that you can give me the patience, the understanding, and the peace to get through my job. What happens during the next story? I asked you guys that earlier. And the disciples in the next story looked at things without the authority, without the faith. And what does Jesus do? What do they have? Give me it. We got, we got five pieces of sliced bread and we got a couple of sardines, Jesus. Sit everybody down. And Jesus takes it blesses it, and breaks it. And he feeds 5,000 men. You see, the need for food is not just the need for physical food. The need for food is both physical food and spiritual food. 
Psalm 119, all about how God's word preserves us. I'll give you two verses that helped me out this week. It says, remember your word to your servant, for you have given me hope. My comfort in my suffering is this. Your promise perseveres my life. I'll give you another one because, you know, we're actually talking about bread. I'll give you some bread. Elijah meets a widow at Zarephath. And Elijah comes into contact with the woman. And he says, hey, can you do me a favor? Can you get me some water? And she goes and she gives him some water. And then afterwards, he says, hey, thank you so much. Can you do me a favor and get me, make me some bread? And she says, as the Lord knows, I can't give you anything. Because I have just enough of a jar of flour and a jar of oil for me and my son. And we are going to make that. We're going to eat it. And we're going to die. She was as transparent as anyone could. I cannot give you anything that I have. Because all that I have is one meal. And then I'm gone. Me and my son are going to starve to death. Because I don't know where my next meal is going to come from. Elijah says, I understand. Do me a favor. Just do me a favor. Make me something. Just very small. And as the God of Israel is my witness, that flour will not run out. And that oil will not run dry. That's a scary thing. That's a scary thing that challenges our faith. But what does she do? She is obedient to the word of the Lord and to the man of God. Verse 15 says, she went away and did as Elijah told her. And so there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Listen, I don't know what your story is and I don't know what your problem is, but if the Lord provides for the widow who's given all that she has, God can provide for you. God can provide for me. Whether it be physical food or spiritual food, he will provide the right thing in season because that is the God who we serve. After you learn the faith thing, after you learn salvation in Jesus Christ, one of the things that you and I need to understand is the character of God. Because what happens is that we look at people who are still imperfect and associate their imperfections with our Father. This is what I view as a father, or this is what I view as a parent, so God is not far behind. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. 
Because God doesn't change. Everything who he is and what he is and all his attributes are good, saving, and loving. And when we trust God for his character and who he is, he will not only give us bread and water, he will pour out the heavens when we trust him. God will give you the need for food. Food is easy. But remember, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The shepherd will fulfill the needs of his sheep. It's quiet in here for a reason. It's quiet in here because God is giving you something in your spirit. The Holy Spirit loves to shout, and the Holy Spirit loves to get quiet. And we need to understand both, because God is teaching us something here. He's teaching me something here. We're learning about the need for rest, the need for care and compassion, and the need for food. But what Jesus fulfills, really, in all of this, is the need for signs. The need for signs. Verses 42 to 44 say this. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Jesus came full circle and fulfilled the needs of the people and the needs for the disciples. Jamie, would you come? The need for rest. The disciples didn't have to travel. They didn't have to go and get the bread. And the people didn't have to worry about going away. They had more time with Jesus. The need for care. The people were shown love and compassion. And so were the disciples because though they doubted, though they had not renewed and understood that God can keep going when they could not, Jesus didn't throw an arrow at them. He just said, go and grab what they got. And the need for food, five loaves, two fish to feed 5,000 men and the families that were with them. So maybe 10 to 15,000 people. People don't think about that. That's basically as many people that fit in the Prudential Center right in downtown Newark. Imagine a stadium that filled with one guest speaker right in the center and feeding everybody all of a sudden. And the need for a sign. Not only were the people fed, but Jesus said, hey, boys, do me a favor. Go pick up the pieces. Pick up the pieces, boys. And the guys who didn't eat all day all had a full portion that was left over. The need for a sign is real, church. 
because signs and wonders are marking stones and marking periods in our testimony with God. Well, Pastor Thomas, you said uh, a couple weeks ago that uh, the the people are always looking for a sign and Jesus didn't want to want to do that because they would only believe like a magic trick. That's not what I am saying this morning. What I am saying is that when you have a relationship with God and you're in the middle of a desert moment or what people call the dark night of the soul, he will give you a word, he will give you a confirmation, or he will give you a spiritual experience so that you can be able to keep going. He will not let your flour or your oil run dry. That is what Jesus will do in this season. And he's been doing it from the beginning. I love this story. It's, it's one of my favorite stories, but it's from Joshua. Everybody talks about the Red Sea. But in Joshua 4, God says, hey, what you're going to do is that you're going to cross over the Jordan River. And you're going to do it the same way. Do me a favor. Bring 12 stones with you. And as you cross, the ark will go before you, and then those 12 stones will go with you. And in 420, this is what it says, And those 12 stones, which they took out of the Jordan River. Remember, these weren't on the other side. They were in the middle of the river that they grabbed. Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall tell your children, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord, your God, dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. What are your stones? What are your marking places? This, this last week might have been one of them in your life. Praise God for them because they are a mound of evidence of what God is going to do in the future. Not what he's done in the past, but what he will do for you, your family in the future. I was 15 years old, filled with anxiety and depression, and I was terrified. And yet he said, you are gonna be a preacher. I can't do this, I can't do this. But he filled me with his Holy Spirit that day. And he kept me every step of the way. And then at 22, when I finally got to college after all that running, <laughs> he said, one day, you're not just gonna be a children's pastor or a worship pastor, you're really good at those things. But do not put a cap on something that I have not capped. And I remember in 2018, 
Only two people know this story in this church. I had a conversation with Vanessa. I was, as I was just going on my first recruiting trip to the great state of New Jersey. It was when I, first time I met Joe, first time I met Shane, had a lot of hair back then. <laughs> and I said to my wife, if I were to ever pastor at anywhere outside of New England, it would be in Jersey. I said it on a whim. <laughs> I said it on a whim. What I didn't know was that the Holy Spirit was speaking something out of me. The comfort that came from that expression in that sentence. And yet five years later, I get the privilege of being able to walk in faith with you people. So what are your stones, church? Today might be a day where you have to take your stone and place it in front of the altar and say, God, I'm going to remember that yes, spiritual emphasis was good. It was awesome. It was great. But today, today, I know that you can fulfill everything. It was not just a one-time moment, but the week after you wanted to let me know that you would never leave me, that you would never forsake me. Let's stand.